Welcome to Mother, the show where we can explore our inner mothers to actualize our greatest selves through interviews with incredible guests, live coaching sessions, and my own experiences. We're going to dive deep into embracing feminine values and reparenting ourselves. So be prepared to show up, hold space, and be mothered in a way you never have before, but have always needed. It's time to rewrite the mother code. Welcome to Mother, Rewriting the Mother Code with me, Dr. Gertrude Lyons. This is episode, I'm all a Twitter. I'm just shaking with excitement because I have the privilege and opportunity to sit here and share with you my audience, Marison. You know, <laughs> if, we, if we were live, there'd be a lot of clapping going on. You have announced your candidacy for presidency. That is a really big deal. I'm extra thrilled and honored to be sitting here with you, given the courage that that takes, the womanness that that takes. And we're going to have a conversation about that, but tied in with mothering. So I think they're very connected personally, because mothering a child, mothering the world, mothering a country, it, it all goes together, right? So if you don't mind, well, first of all, welcome, Marianne. And then I'm going to say oh, thank a little you. more thank official you. things about you. Well, thank that. you. Thank you so much for having me. They're not just connected. They are intimately connected and very much a part of why I am running. When I was a young person, my mother used to say that a woman's greatest, most important role was to take care of her children and to take care of her home. Now, I guess I was a teenager when I first heard my mother say that. And at the time, I thought it was kind of retro mm. and uncool, and I wanted to do something much more important than just take care <laughs> of children and the home. It took me decades to realize how right my mother was and how wrong I was in some of my projected judgments mm. onto her. I do realize, however, that we have evolved to the realization that it can't just be our children, it has to be every woman's child. And that we have to see the earth itself as our shared home. So, you know, a lot of times women talk about the rising feminine and all of that. The feminine is, as much as anything, care of the children, care of the home, care of the hearth. Now, policies in our country are almost proactively neglectful of our children compared to other Western democracies. The fact that we do not have free health care, the fact that we do not have paid family leave, the fact that we do not have more stringent rules regarding toxins in our food, toxins in our water, toxins in our air. The fact that we do not have built into our public policies a recognition of how important those first 10 years of life are. For instance, if a child has not learned to read by the age of eight, the chances of high school graduation are drastically decreased and the chances of incarceration are drastically increased. We know how much of the population of violent criminals in our, in our prisons have multiple adverse childhood experiences. So when I ran before and also continuing now, I wish to see a cabinet level department of children and youth. It's almost absurd actually that we have a department of agriculture, but we don't have a department of children. We have Department of Children and Human Services but and Family Services, mm -hmm. but it's 
within another department because earlier in our history, either children weren't treated in such a dangerous way or we didn't know about it, one or the other. But the way things are now, we have at-risk factors for our nation's children that didn't that are overwhelming and they're overwhelming the system you know you might have seen that the uh, Seattle public schools is suing big tech because oh, yeah. there has not been proven not just a correlation but a causation between what social media is doing to these kids brains and childhood depression inability to sleep inability to study inability to perform well at school etc so I see America's children in crisis to a great extent. And many of those things that I just mentioned, I don't care how much money someone has, you can't protect your child from poisons in the air, for instance. No. You can't protect your child from some of the factors uh, that are becoming more and more threatening. So this is very much a child-centric campaign, and it's very much a part of my own motivation and inspiration mm -hmm. for running. That's beautiful, Marianne. And it, you know, it obviously touches and hits my heart very strongly in that regard and taking responsibility, you know, not just for my children, but all children and the mother that's, you know, we're dismissed the mother in the, in the picture. We just have COVID showed us how burnt out they are. It, you know, mothering is positioned in our culture as either a loss, sacrifice, exhaustion, or some ultimate expression, you know, of being a woman. There's not much in between of what it's supposed to be, but neither of those are true. You know, I'm working on supporting them to like dig in, look at what are those codes? What is it that's wired in us personally, you know, that is listening to those voices that's allowing that, you know, to continue. We, it's like we're a fish in water. We don't even know how destructive um, so many of the paradigms that are going on, everything from conception to birth, to early motherhood, to, to, to raising a child. And, you know, for me personally, I also want them to know there's a transformational opportunity in it all, right? Like this isn't just a thing you're going to self-sacrifice to. You're you're going to grow and transform. In fact, you have to if you're really in doing the job with them. And I, again, see that like with our country, right? It's an inside job. We have to take responsibility, look and see what the problems are so, you know, we can help, we can heal. And that's I what also, I'm resonating with what you're saying. Also think it very much affects how men uh, see women who are pregnant, how men see mothers. When I was... Um, Many years ago, I went to Egypt, and going there, I studied about Egyptian mythology. Mm -hmm. And in Egyptian mythology, Isis has a son named Horus, and Horus will become the first pharaoh, and he is the divine child. You know, right. this is thousands of years before the birth of, of Jesus, but the archetypes were already there. So yes. her wicked brother was after the child to destroy him, just like Herod was out to destroy all the Jewish babies. The themes are all the same, actually. Mm -hmm. So she knew uh, that her brother knew what she looked like. So she said, somebody else is going to have to raise this child, mm -hmm. because otherwise, if he stays with me, I know my brother will find him. She said, but who could I have suckle the baby? Because it can't just be a regular woman. It has to be a goddess like me. So she found the goddess Hathor, who would, and she's pictured with cow's ears because she suckled the divine child. The point that's so interesting to me is that in Egyptian mythology, uh, Hathor, and you see pictures of her holding the baby at her breast, much like the pictures of Mary holding Jesus. And what happens in Egyptian mythology is that when Horus becomes old enough that he is no longer at his mother's breast or on his mother's lap or at his mother's mm -hmm. side, 
instead of his leaving the mother to find the woman who will be the you know object of his sexual affection, she transforms. Now, that's very interesting because in Christianity, it became so much about the mother and the whore. It became so much about you can either be this glamorous, you know, the woman of, you know, sexual, sensual excitement, or you fall into this mother role. You know, when I was younger, um, this is why both Jacqueline Kennedy and Princess Diana were so important. They were major images of women who clearly put their motherhood above all else and yet yeah. retained this sort of glamour as women. And I think there's been a real psychic split uh, for a lot of women, because like you said, when you have a child, you're going to transform. Your life is going to be different. To mm -hmm. me, that's the point. Okay, this is a change. There's this other human being in the house who's my child. This changes my relationship myself changes my relationship to them, changes my relationship to the father figure, or if it's a, a woman, a lesbian relationship, or to the mother, whatever. So that's why conversations like this are so important, right. so that it can be a, a something that integrates all the aspects of who we are, rather than producing chaos and emotional pain, which we've all known as well. Well, now I'm thinking with, that, thank you for sharing that. And that's such a, you know, that also wired in us, but we forget, right? We forget these aspects of a system that worked, basically, right? Like things that worked in our in our history that, you know, we can can bring forth and and have at our disposal now. And some of it's just, you know, connecting with those divine sources, right? To connect with that aspect of Hathor or Isis, you know, or whatever, you know, you you might have an inclination toward the Virgin Mary, right? Any of them. So that there are models, right? There are models for us, but we well, have sometimes... to see through, right? We have to see through some of what has been said about them <clears throat> that isn't true. Well, sometimes we have some negative modeling. I know in my case, I had positive modeling, but didn't even realize it till I was mm -hmm. older. I didn't realize what a positive model my mother was. I didn't realize what a positive model my grandmother and aunts were until much later. But I also think that in terms of what's going on in our country, people are realizing that it's not just about our personal psychological or emotional state. It's about the health of our children. Uh, so many American kids with uh, with asthma now, uh, so many American children with higher level, chronic levels of uh, uh, disease, childhood diseases that the other countries don't have. And that does get into public policy. That does get into mm -hmm. our agencies. Who's appointed to head them? Is the agency, you know, a lot of times there's a double allegiance. You know, they're trying to, yes, stand up for the safety and health and well-being of America's citizens, but also bowing to the short-term profit maximization of big food, big agriculture, big chemical companies, et cetera. Sure. Big chemical companies are particularly disturbing some of the pesticides. There's one particular pesticide that has a chemical in it, which was known to harm a child's brain. Uh, during the Trump administration, the lobbying of the, of the chemical company was so great that they allowed that to continue its man manufacture. Uh, it has been stopped under the Biden administration, but look at all those years uh, when little kids were, you know, that's in their running DNA. around yeah. the backyard and those pesticides were were on the grass or on the trees. It's this is I see the state of America's children really. There's there's an emergency factor here, mm -hmm. and uh, no matter who you are, no matter what um, what uh, neighborhood you live in, you know many times people say that the earth and the planet and climate change, all those issues, are the worst collateral damage of corporations run out of control. Corporations run amok, as in. 
uh, something like uh, big oil. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest collateral damage is to America's children because mm-hmm. children are not old enough to vote. So they don't have it. They're not a constituency and they're not old enough to work. So they don't have any financial leverage. And our system is so corrupt that money speaks loudest. So even though children are citizens, what we should see is their alienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are often shunted aside. And if we as women and as mothers do not speak for our children, who is going to? When we were together, had the opportunity to be with you in in December, so much of that was what is still ringing with me, right? Who, I don't think women have ever been more called than than they are now, right? And I felt called and everything from, you know, living feminine values, you know, being a mother who's thoughtful, critically thinks and is trying to wade through you know, the wiring of our culture, the wiring, and even with what you said, like taking the time to look at like what it, treasures did I have in my upbringing and what didn't work so that we, I can wire it differently. I can do it differently. I have, you know, we're not powerless. And that was another thing I felt so encouraged by, you know, it's not hopeless, right? I'm not powerless, but I do have to take responsibility. And, you know, it was why I was so excited, you know, with your message and, you know, sobered. And, you know, i I, I have a privileged position, you know, I can easily act like, oh, this doesn't affect me somehow, you know, I can feel like I can rise above it because I have means and you no, know, like what you said, this is affecting all of us, everyone on the planet, whether, you know, at whatever socioeconomic level you are and, you know, that that's what has to, we have to get through. It has and to get is- through. And as I was saying before, there's no amount of money that can protect you from what will happen if, God forbid, the proverbial you know shit hits the fan. We're really talking about threats to the survivability of the species within the next 50 to 100 years. That's, that's our grandchildren. It's not even yeah. just about our children. It's about our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. You know, you already have young people in this country, and a lot of them, who are saying that given the state of the environment, given the state of the of their own economic circumstances, whereas otherwise they would be considering having children, they're actually foregoing that. Well, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. I was talking to a couple, a young couple the other day. Uh, they're both high achievers. They both have very good jobs. They're everything America should be proud of, Right. They knew it was going to be tough for them economically to have children. They did have children. And the cost of childcare is so high that he is turning down. And this is part of the whole thing of our not having universal health care. Mm-hmm. There are people like them all over this country who are in jobs that are not the hearts, the jobs that make their hearts sing mm-hmm. because they need it for the guarantee of uh, the money for childcare. They need yeah. it for medical um uh, for uh, the you know healthcare. So, as mothers, as women, we have to think about how many of these people are. You know, it doesn't have to be us. It doesn't have to be our child. You know, mm-hmm. the mother is not just thinking about herself. And we have to evolve to this idea of other people's children. That other the the love that will save the world is not just the love for our children. It's also the love for other people's children, not only on the other side of town, but for that matter, on the other side of the world. You have, for instance, are continuing to sell uh, arms to Saudi Arabia, who is prosecuting a genocidal war in Yemen. Something like 10,000 children are thought to have been killed by this war. 
Well, that's your tax money. That's my uh, my tax money. And that's mm-hmm. the moral authority of the United States. W- the women of the United States should not and cannot look away from this. I think it's our moral responsibility to care about others and to care about the children of mothers in the world who have no um, no way of defending their own children, especially mm-hmm. women. What they need to defend their children against is policy, at least indirectly related to the policies of our country. You know, Marianne, this is also connected for me um, and something else that inspired me when you were talking, but also reading uh, one of your 14 wonderful books, <laughs> um, um, all of which are, you know, have a message that I think is so important and adds to this to this dialogue and this conversation. But I wasn't aware that, you know, one of your intentions, you know, what call it, you know, platform is founding a department of peace. And, you know, so I, I kind of put those together, right? Because in the mother realm, like the feminine, well, you know, the yin. Wait till like, you hear, yeah, yeah me... wait till you hear this. So there are principles of peace building. So it's kind of like the way we look at integrative medicine. Mm-hmm. You don't just wait till you get sick you proactively cultivate health because sickness is the absence of health. Health is not the absence of sickness. Same with with conflict and peace. Conflict is the absence of peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict. So we must proactively cultivate Mm. peace. So there are four factors which are core to peace building. And when these are present, statistically, you have a higher incidence of peace and a lower incidence of conflict. Number one, expanded Uh, economic opportunities for women. Number two, expanded educational opportunities for children. Number three, the reduction of violence against women. And number four, the amelioration and diminishment of unnecessary human despair. Wow. Take care of people, you know, and yeah. and so what could be more feminine and what could be more right. mothering? You know, I was reading an article yesterday, you know, we've had all these horrible mass murders, right? Yes. So I was reading an article about they're doing all these studies of um, uh, the, the psychological profile of these mass killers. Well, what? duh, <laughs> as any woman could have told you, isolation and despair. You know, sometimes I've read about not always, not always, but many times you read about some of these people who have committed heinous acts and you think, who might have gotten to them when they were a child and made a difference? Yeah, what was absent and what could have and made a they, difference? You know, anytime yeah. you leave a child, and by the way, you know, six-year-old child shot his teacher in Virginia the other day, and of course the danger, I mean, we, we don't even know what what we're doing here. We Mm -hmm. have a whole generation of elementary school children, elementary school children who are now going to school every morning, saying a little prayer in their heart that I won't be shot today. Praying that they will not be shot today. Elementary school teachers praying they won't be shot today. This is how insane it is. And these children are not even seeing somebody stand up and try to really do anything. That the NRA, the gun manufacturers are so powerful. Their undue economic influence is so powerful that we, this is the total example. We, Mm -hmm. our government serves 
gun manufacturers and the profits of gun manufacturers more than it serves our children. And this is why an assault weapons ban is so important. There's no reason for a person just walking down the street in America. They don't need a weapon of war. Those are weapons of mass destruction, and they're meant to be in the hands of soldiers at war. So upset. <laughs> like, and well, and you know, so the good news is, like you were saying, these are opportunities for transformation. If the American right? women rise up, the American woman rises up and goes to town hall meetings and says, I will not vote for you unless you want an assault weapon ban. I will not vote for you unless you're going to vote for uh, greater oversight and more teeth in the FDA. Do you know that in the Federal Food and Drug Administration, when I was a child, Food and Drug Administration agent could walk into a grocery store and um, say, this is a known carcinogen get this off the shelves. Then it moved in the 1980s to all that the FDA agent can do is write a polite letter to the CEO of the food company and say, would you please consider taking it off the shelves? Oh, now no. the FDA agent isn't even allowed to mention it. I don't even know what these people are there for half the time. That's how much these agencies have been diminished in terms of advocacy for the safety, health, and well-being of people. And I go right to, like, as you were saying that, that, uh, Another thing that has really stood out for me in in the platform that you have is leading from leading with love, right? Love, and um, we're not loving. That's not a loving act, right? To allow no. poison into right, our children's right. bodies, into our into the body. It's not like oh, we're all going to like sit around and love no, each other. No, no. we we're going to act from love and caring about our fellow humans. And we really need to get over this. We really need yeah. to stop allowing ourselves to do the ditzy woman thing and call that loving. It's called infantile. It's called immaturity. There are too many women in this country still still doing the little girl thing. Yeah. Sometimes love says no. You know. In every advanced mammalian species that survives and thrives, a common characteristic is the fierce behavior of the adult female of the species when she senses a threat to her cubs. If you go hiking, right, and there are black bears anywhere, this is what they'll tell you. They'll leave you alone and just don't go near their babies they are coming after you. Yeah. The mother bear, the mother lion, the mother tiger. Now, if if they see you come near their babies, they're gonna they're gonna go insane, right? We don't call yep. that an angry tiger or an angry lion. We say that's what nature did. That's what nature does. That's how the species becomes uh, propagates. Is that we are hormonally we are hormonally programmed to protect our young. We all have that. Everyone listening right now has that mm -hmm. in terms of the child in front of me, whether it's my yeah. child or someone else's. But we can go into this kind of grandiosity and denial as a society. At this point, these are collective. You can't, you know, if your water is filled with poison or if your air is filled with poison or just, you know, you can protect yourself. You know, people talk about this all the time. I don't show my children those television shows. I don't show my children, uh, feed my children that, but they go to their friends' houses. And then, of course, now the, the threats have become so huge, um, the fentanyl crisis, et cetera. Yeah. Women in America must become politicized now. And all I mean by that is, please vote. Yes. Please stand up. Please stop looking away. Because to be a responsible mother today means being a responsible mother beyond just my house. Mm -hmm. um, and if and when we do, this country will change in unimaginable ways. 
Hi, I'm so excited to share with you my 2024 Spring Equinox Self-Mothering Retreat that's happening this March 2024. And I would love for you not only to consider it, but to attend. But in considering it, hey, just knowing that you would be leaving cold weather if that's the space that you're in and coming down to just magnificently beautiful, warm, nourishing place of Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Zihuatanejo meaning land of the goddess women. And coming to really take time for yourself. Okay, and that I am learning more and more isn't just a nice thing to do or something extravagant or something selfish. It's essential. And I really want you to take it seriously to consider, you know, just think about what would it take for me to go. It's a five and a half day retreat, getting from where you are, getting there, landing there, and then being in a space that is all about you. It's all about nourishing you. It's all about tuning into you, using everything around us, the nature, the food, the beautiful people, the rituals, ceremonies. I bring it, you know, we really bring it. And we go deeper and deeper as the days go on and we release, we let go, we bring in what is nourishing, what is empowering, what is that space of just really divine feminine energy. And we do it in the community of women. It's not for everyone. I will be honest, you know, if the idea of leaving and not making it work or it's just too hard, not for you. If the idea of, you know, spending that amount of time inwardly focused and going to that level of self-awareness doesn't sound like something you're willing to do or put the time and energy into, then it's not for you. And it's good to know that, right? So this is for people who are serious about what it means to mother themselves, what it means to take time for ourselves and that gift and what that gift can bring to us. It was originally right after my fall retreat, it filled right up, but now some people, it turns out, are not able to come. So I do have a handful of openings. And if you're listening to this and you're willing to take that step, please reach out to me. We can do a discovery call or you can put a deposit down. I would love that. And you can do that by going to my website, www.drgertrudelyons.com. Go to events and there you go. It'll all be there. There's a beautiful page there for you to explore. I look forward to hearing from you and then seeing you on my spring retreat. And I don't think it it's, has to take a long time with what you're saying. It's really just kind of, it's a, it's a wake up, right? And mm-hmm. as you were saying that about, you know, and this intensive mothering paradigm that we're in, you know, it, it's becomes child-centric, but not like child-centric from this. It's, you know, how do I hover over my child? How do I, you know, yes, we want to give them the best things that we can and education and all of that. But we're not thinking about like, am I, am I, am I raising a child that's going to be an independent thinker that is going to be able to live on its own? I mean, there's so many children now that are, I mean, I was talking to my daughter who's 24 and she said when she was in high school, probably eight out of 10 of her friends were on antidepressants right? Like that's, that's, um, there was some mothering that didn't happen. And yes, people have issues and I'm not, you know, diminishing like, you know, attention deficit disorder and some things that people like, you know, can be helped, but this is like, and she was, she felt like out 
I wouldn't give them to her because she was struggling or having strong emotions. And I was the bad guy. Like I was the bad mother because I wasn't going to allow that. And, you know, it's those things just like really rile me up. Right. And that's the, the pharma, the big pharma, the drug companies that have, you know, hypnotized us, basically put a spell on us that like, no, this, this is what your child needs and we care. Right. So we listen, we think, we think that, you know, that man, the great Oz, you know, is, is, uh, and I, I don't mean like just men, um, you know, but the, you know, the, the great Oz that's giving us some magical thing and not realizing, not understanding the ramifications of it all. So the, me the medical uh, pharmaceutical overprescription of America should mm -hmm. not be considered a fringe topic. No, we are the most medicated society and in some ways among the advanced societies, the least healthy. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we're all asking what's going on here uh, regarding overprescription of medications across the board, none of us should apologize for that. No, and I, I, you know, feel really strongly in the arena of having, you know, raising the awareness. It's not a right or wrong, like, you know, you, oh, now you're a bad mother because, you know, you chose medication at any phase, you know, of your mothering for yourself, for them. It's that we're not taking the responsibility to become aware you know, and the the voices that have been silenced, you know, up till now that, you know, gee, we're, you know, we have this medicalized birthing system that's all just a big business. And we have some of the worst infant mortality of any, any developed country. Like, shouldn't that, you know, shouldn't somebody start questioning or think like, oh, if that's the case, why do I feel like that's the safe, the only safe way, you know, for us? And, and, you know, you start on that path and that's just going to get wired in as your choice. So there's, you know, um, there it's that there's options, right. And there's options that can work for a lot of women that are everything in between. I'm not saying everybody should have a unmedicated home birth, you know, or, you know, sign up for their cesarean on the other end. It's just that there's a lot in between and a lot of possibilities. Yeah. We and have been trained, you know, you can't get a greater system of genius than nature. And yet we have been trained well, we to think so, right? nature. <laughs> yeah, West, Western, the Western scientific mind has come up with this idea in its arrogance that somehow we've improved on nature. But I do think that there is a real movement in mm -hmm. this country away from that as well. The spell, you mentioned it as a spell that was cast mm -hmm. or a trance. You're right, it is. It's not. It's a code that's putting you so young. Um, but I do think there's a lot of awakening, a lot of people more interested in, in natural remedies, more interested yeah. in preventative health, uh, positive diet, holistic medicine, integrative medicine. Um, so I, I do think that, um, you know, we are living simultaneously at a time when something essential seems to be falling apart. And at the same time, something is struggling to be born. Mm -hmm. And I think of us as we have a responsibility to be both death doulas and birth doulas. We're meant to be sort of societal hospice workers to help that which needs to die, die in a just and gentle, tender way. And that which is struggling to be born. We also know as mothers that birth is messy and that uh, it can be painful. Mm -hmm. But we must give birth to another world. And that that's that's also something for me about women and age. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the species will not uh, be able to perpetuate itself if enough young women, uh, or what do they call it now, impregnatable persons, um, do not give birth. But this species will also not survive if we do not produce more wisdom. And often it's those of us who are mothers or, you know, you don't have to have been to be a mother to have the expanded mother consciousness, which is just a part of mature living. Yes. To sometimes it is the fact that we are not young anymore that actually has given us the accumulation of experience and layers of circumstances that really makes our own consciousness, our own heart, our own brain, the womb Mm -hmm. out of which this new world will emerge. So the mother consciousness in all of us, men, women, uh, gay, straight, and no matter what age are needed in order to allow that aspect of mother, divine mother, really, to give birth through and among all of us, because a new world does need to be given birth to. And if we don't give it birth, there isn't anyone else who's going to do it. No, no. We, we know we know the ultimate conclusion to that story, right? And I, I think we want to think that it could be some other way, but it can't without what we're, you know, what you're talking about and what we're underlining here. And two things is, as are in my mind about some of what you're saying, you know, this, we started at the beginning with this mother archetype of Isis and, um, and I brought in Mary and, you know, I always think of them as this compassionate, you know, the aspect, but then there's the the mother bear, right. The protective. And I think that what has been missing. And I've only recently started exploring, you know, the mother archetype of Kali, the Hindu goddess. She gets Kali. pissed. I just love her, love her. And, you know, but in our culture, I'd be like, Oh, she's like, angry know, the, the angry one right and and uh she only gets angry when it's needed right and she well, only listen god forbid somebody came in and started messing with your children you would get mm-hmm. very very fierce we have enough stories of mothers and fathers too we shouldn't leave that out but enough mm-hmm. stories of mothers who absolutely not only would do whatever they could to protect their children but also in relation to their children you know who among us if you've ever had a teenager Right. It happens to almost all of us somewhere in those teenage years, usually involves sex, drugs, alcohol, something along that line. And this fierce something comes up from the bottom of things that will not happen in this house. Do you understand me? Well, it's pretty funny, actually, because at the moment you're saying those things, you're actually chuckling inside because you don't even know what you would do if they if they challenge you at that moment. But you're so fierce, they're not going to. To me, that is the attitude we need to develop about this country. Yes. When it comes, whether it's fentanyl, whether it's poison in our food, whatever it is, that will not happen in this country. We didn't get the right to vote mm-hmm. just to sit around. We got the right to vote so that we could try to change things. But too often we do not use the power in the society that we have. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, what you're calling us to. And for me, you know, what is so encouraging, remarkable, um, courageous on your part is to stand to stand up and make this claim in running for president and you know talk about going right into the heat of the battlefield right where it all is like a mess and uh, it's this ugly and you know and so many it's like that song masculine constructs right that uh-huh. um but you're doing you, it and i think yeah. you know like to see that as a as a 
clarion call for it doesn't mean everyone's going to jump up and run for president, but you could take that, do that, say that courageous thing or speak, you know, listen from that like gut clench and say something, right? And do well, something. It's, it's like the song, put a woman in charge, Love put a woman in charge. You know, I, I said when I ran before, I always said we need a mother in the White House and you can take that however you want it. We <laughs> need somebody in the Oval Office who says yeah. that policy will not work. It will hurt children. We need someone in the office who who is going to say, "Tell me why we're going to give corporate subsidies to the tune of billions of dollars when we have children or, or tax cuts to the very very wealthiest when we have children in this country who are going to schools that don't even have working toilets that are flooded." You know, when I was running before, there were elementary school teachers who told me that they had children in their schools on suicide watch. Public schools mm-hmm. all over, and for all I know, private schools as well, I don't know, all over this country that regularly have trauma rooms, or what you were mentioning before about the um, uh, the depression issues among our children. We have to start seeing these things as the blinking red lights that they clearly are. Now, there's if you take an integrative approach to healing society, which I think we must, it's mm-hmm. body, mind, and spirit. So there's no magic wand. There's no set of public policies that are going to make it all correct. It's got to be both. It's got to be how we think of our own children, cracking that code, as you were saying. Where do yeah. we have the Course in Miracles says, beware the danger of an unrecognized belief. I mm-hmm. think it, you already brought up something here that made me think, what makes a woman think that somebody who has met her child for an hour knows what that child needs more than she does? Yeah. Right? I don't care what words they have behind uh, behind their name. We have been so disconnected from the sense of our own hormonal and intuitive uh, connection to what our children need that literally millions of years of evolution have built into us. So some of the changes have got to be personal, some Mm -hmm. of them are cultural, and some of them on the level of public policy. It's not either or, it's both and. But I think women have to get into the issue of public policy in order to make some of these changes, without which no matter what you do on a personal level, there will continue to be these threatening factors in your child's life. Yeah, here, here. And I, I think in all of those arenas, what's striking me is, you know, we're, we're all connected, right? We're all part of the system. There isn't in my family, the problem child and we'll fix that child. And I don't have to look at myself. Right. Or I, I, it's what happened. I I don't know, like, you know, what happened over there, we'll send them off and get that child fixed, but without seeing, Oh, you know, and it's not like to look at how do, how am I to blame for it? It's like, no, I have something to learn about this. Like there's, that you know, child is playing something out for all of us in this family, and that's kind of a cool thing to look at. It isn't just this horrible, like you know, oh, I got to punish myself. No, it's cool. But same with policy. I'm part of that. You know, to act like, oh, I'm not part of that. No, I'm connected in that system, and that's that more when we wake ourselves up to that more motherly, you know, right brain, you know, hemisphere. Like we denying that we're not all impacted, connected, and can play a part is, um, I think, hurting us. 
Well, I remember when the change started to happen, probably around in the 1970s. It used to be, as you said, your child was a problem. You'd go to the therapist, you'd go to the rehab center, you'd go to the whatever and say, my child is a problem, fix my child. And then the consciousness began to change, that it's a family issue. The child is living within a family system. So if you're really going to address what's a problem for the child, you have to address everyone in the family. Now we have to realize the same applies to society. Yeah. Um, you can't just talk about we're depressed individuals without talking about what are the factors in the society that are contributing to that depression, particularly how much of that has to do with the disconnection that so many of us are experiencing. Yeah. Um, you know, everything has become a commodity. Every person is a consumer. There's so many aspects of the way we are living as these atomized beings who are, we don't know our neighbors, we don't know our co-workers, everything. Everybody is so just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And that means something is very wrong in your society if so many people are living on some level of survival. When you have 63% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck, I mean, the level of economic tension and anxiety on a chronic level that accompanies those kinds of circumstances, that person does not have the bandwidth that they should have to be present to their children. You know, in the 1970s, the average American worker could afford a home, could afford a car, could afford a yearly vacation, could afford to send their kids to college, and could afford for one parent to stay home if they wanted to. That's that was only 50 years ago, and it's not an accident that it changed. Mm -hmm. Public policy is responsible for the fact that so much economic resource was squeezed out of the middle class of the United States. Now, the person living the life that I just described, this kind of Ozzie and Harriet, Donna Reed, you know, mm -hmm. Dick Van Dyke show, had time to be there for their children, had the energy to be there for their children. And the family had time to relax, to be there with each other, to talk. Now, a lot of that is personal. A lot of it is we have you stop letting your kids bring the tablet to dinner. Right. You know, a lot of that. I'm not saying we don't have to take some personal responsibility for all that as well. It's both and. Yeah. But this this is why economic justice matters, because it's far more difficult to be the people that we want to be of deep connection when we're living constantly on such a state of, like I said, survival. Mm -hmm. um, that we're, we're just fight, trying to fight free, you know, yeah, we're living from right. our like lower how brain a, limbic, yeah, right? How, we're not going to make how, good decisions right. from there. So how, how good a mom, you know, and there are so many people trying so many people and then they, they and, and healthcare, if they were living in any other advanced democracy, the healthcare would be free. We should have free and and our young people. If we're going to be mothers, I mean, in other countries and other European advanced democracies, people go to college. It's true in Australia. I assume it's true in New Zealand. They go to college as high as their academic achievement level will take them, uh, or technical school. And then when they start to make a certain amount of money, the state will start. You know, the government will start taking some of that money every month out of your out of your paycheck. When you are making enough a certain amount that that can be done without shackling you the way mm. so many of our young people are shackled by these college loans. I think uh, the women in America need to be at the forefront of imagining the world that we want. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we will continue to be just trying to survive this world that we don't want. The change will only come if we um, uh, if we stand up for a different possibility. You know, and that's how we are with our children. When we think of certain bad things, we just say, that will not happen. That will not happen. That right. will stop now. And that's how we have to become about our country. 
Thank you, Marianne. I am, you know, continual, even deepening, you know, my resolve in this. It's, you know, my hope that going at it at the angle I am is is making a difference. But I know there's so much more for me, you know, so much more I can, you know, stand, places I can stand up. Sometimes it's just with my husband, who's, you know, a lovely man, but also can have a very, you know, kind of masculine, like, you know, blinders on, you know, kind of sight, but it's up to me to expand that vision for him at times, you know, and then it's like, oh, you know, I mean, he's so grateful for the times I have. And then there's plenty of times where he like, you know, wants to shut it down. And I just, you know, I do that like little girl thing, you know, I mean, we've been in a dance uh, around that our whole life. Um, You know, but the other day to have my daughter say like, you know, mom, I know you weren't the one that like made all the money in the family or that, but we wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have the social emotional intelligence. Like we wouldn't, you know, have what we have if it wasn't for you, you know, and there's, there's like nothing, I don't think, you know, your child, a child could say to me, you know, that would, and that doesn't dismiss the expectations my husband had on them, you know, getting through college, getting good jobs, you know, and all of that. But to have her honor that aspect of it, um, was, you know, about the best gift I, I think I got last year. Well, I think you know, that's the that. highest level of achievement that a woman can have as a mother is that we uh, can look and see our kids are happy, our kids are well uh, adjusted, our kids are achieving. Um, they say a woman is only as happy as her least happy child. We suffer, mm-hmm. of course, uh, when our children are not happy. But I hope that any woman who is listening right now whose child is going through something will also have patience mm-hmm. and know that God's not finished with your child yet. Mm-hmm. And many of the things that do happen, you know, I don't want any mother to feel that if your child is not happy or not well adjusted, that it's your fault. I think that um, when we, you know, I often tell people at my lectures, you know, I'll say, what's your religious background? They'll say Catholic, and I'll say, go to a Catholic church and light a candle to Mary and ask Mary to overshadow your motherhood. I think there is a sense, if we're talking about divine, you know, the divine feminine and all of these images of the spiritual, um, sometimes we can ask them very directly to take care of our children and to help us through things. And Did you ever see the movie In the Name of the Father? No. It was this really extraordinary film uh, mm. quite a few years ago with Daniel Day-Lewis, and it was based mm. on a true story of these uh, people in Ireland who were um, falsely accused and falsely convicted and then imprisoned of of um, violence, uh, uh, you know, IRA violence uh, in mm. London or in England somewhere. And the people who were put in prison were innocent. They were not the ones who had committed the acts. And one of the I think it was one of the young women who was put in prison. Her mother would just not give up. And her mother kept, it's it's extraordinary the way they show it in the film. And she kept praying Mm. to the Virgin Mary, you know, Catholics in Ireland. Very, very beautiful film and a very Mm. beautiful presentation of the perseverance of the mother who would not give up and the incredible things that happened because of it. And they were all ultimately released from prison. And it was officially recognized. It had been, there had been a false accusation, et cetera. I, I think that's going to be a, a place for us to start to uh, wrap up, although I don't want to. I want to keep going and going um, because I think we need to hear all of this. We need to be reinforced, you know, with this message, but the not giving up and the the fortitude and, you know, the asking for help, like, you know, from my neighbor, from my girlfriend, you know, from whoever and 
you know, from a divine archetype that, that moves you. And, you know, I've been finding some pretty significant support in that realm in a way that I haven't. And it makes a difference. I mean, it, it really makes a difference. It, it isn't, you know, I, um, I'll share this one story because I think, uh, you know, I was having trouble sleeping. I don't know, getting older, menopause, like waking up and I, I was stressed about some things. And so I have recently from kind of a ancient perspective and and up to having been raised Catholic, not a practicing Catholic, but the rosaries always meant something to me because my grandparents said it. My grandfather prayed a rosary for me like every day, right? Like how beautiful is that to have Very to have somebody praying for you? And I know that that matters and I'm not sleeping and I'm stressed and I'm upset, you know, kind of tense. And I'm saying these like prayers to like go to sleep, right? I'm like, if I say this rosary, it'll put me to sleep. And I heard, you know, this voice or whatever, you know, like the, the message I got in that moment was, no, I'm just here to be with you. You know, mm -hmm. this, you're not sleeping because not because, but so you're not sleeping, but now you have the opportunity for us to be together. And I'm just here with you. And so whether beautiful. you sleep or not, you know, the, that's okay. And I understand you're scared that you're not going to sleep, but it's not the point. Right. And I, I think what we're talking about, we can get so focused on like this result or these like things, paradigms that are wired in us that we don't even explore or think like, oh, you know, I there's, it's a loving world. It's a loving universe. You know, there's a lot of love available to me if I just open myself to it. And sometimes in the middle of the night, the negative ions, the quiet, mm -hmm. that's sometimes when I can read. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I understand it's tough for people when they have, when, you know, you have to get up at a certain time in the morning sure. to go to work. That's not a joke. But sometimes I think we resist being up when we actually don't have to get up in the morning right away. And there's a lot to those hours of greater quiet. You can feel mm -hmm. the more uh, fragile um, vibrations of spirit and wisdom and clarity uh, that sometimes are unavailable to us during the day because everything is an assault in our modern culture. Yeah. Here, here. All right. So you are running for president. Yeah. You know, we have just talked about this message and mothering and the predominant amount of people in my audience are women, but also men, you know, this message is inclusive mm -hmm. um, and important for all of mm -hmm. us. How, if someone's interested, can they support you? You know, they can I know there's Mary, the, yeah, go ahead. They can go to Marianne2024.com. Uh, they can find out how to be involved as a volunteer. Certainly donations are great, you know, very gratefully accepted because mm -hmm. it takes a lot of money to run for president. Mm -hmm. And, um, Go to the website, Marianne2024, and see how you can get involved. Um, okay. And if you resonate with what we're talking about here, that we really need to change the direction of the country from a kind of soulless transactional perspective to a far more natural, nourishing, yes, mothering perspective. And that that actually, I love how in The Course in Miracles it says, love restores reason, not the other way around. Mm. So the patriarchal mind says the mother is weaker, the feminine is weaker, when really what's weak is the soulless perspective that does not take care of your children. There's nothing strong about allowing your children to be destroyed. There's something very strong about protecting them and making sure that they'll be safe. Thank you. Well, I'm uh, hoping that everyone is inspired and is, you know, putting their foot forward or their voices forward or what their pocketbooks forward. Um, I know I am. And so thank I'm you so much. I'm so grateful for be, your generosity. 
supporting you and and your campaign. And we're going to keep exploring ways that, you know, how that's going to look. Um, so the last question that I, that I ask my guests and I always get something different, but something's so beautiful is what does rewriting the mother code mean to you? Rewriting it means remembering the mother code that's already deep within us. I remember when I was a young woman, years before I had children, I was already starting my career and I had said to the women at my lectures that I would have a mother support group. And all these women were all excited and they were going to come to my house for this mother support group. And I was very nervous. And I prayed and I said, God, I don't know what to tell mothers. I'm not a mother. I don't have any children. I don't know what to tell these women. And I got very clearly in my heart, just remind them that they already know. Mm. But the society, just like your breast knows, okay, your breast will know how, how, how to suckle your child. Okay. The nature has imbued all of us, but particularly women with this deep intuitional, multidimensional knowledge and wisdom. And the paradigm that dominates this planet has disconnected us from that, made us feel that it's less than, made it made us feel that that's just fantasy, made us feel, oh, that's just poppycock. That's just old wives, women, uh, old women's fairy tales or whatever. And then you come to realize, no, that deep knowing of the ages that was passed down over the generations. So the code of natural genius within the mother mm. is already there. What we need to do is unlearn the diminishment of that, make mm -hmm. a stand for that which we know to be true. And the other, only other thing I'd add to that is take mm -hmm. a stand for it in other women as well. Because yeah. we're not going to get there unless all of us get there. And we have to include sisterhood um, that when you see other women struggling to get past the patriarchal prejudices in their lives, do what you can to lend a hand. We need to do oh, this yeah. together. Yeah, we need to be on one team, not, you know, tearing each other down. So oh, that I think is such an important, not just add on, but um, closing that we we really need to be there for each other um, in this aspect. Marianne, thank you so, so much. Thank what you so much. I'm, a blessing. I'm so grateful to you. Oh, I mean, same thank back. <laughs> thank you for having me. I wish you all the best with your work. I hope thank that you. your uh, work continues to be a place of real solace and, and inspiration. I remember how anxious I was when I first mm -hmm. had my baby and it can be a real overwhelming. And yeah. I know you bring hope and you bring lightness of spirit and transformation mm -hmm. to women at a time when we most need it. So God bless you and all you. that you do. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for choosing yourself and taking the time to listen to this podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to Mother. Wait, no, subscribe to Mother Her. It helps other people who need this message, aka all women, well, actually everybody, men included, find it. I'm honored to have you on this journey in mothering yourself. Remember, change is uncomfortable, but it's beautiful and it starts with us. And if you can't wait until next week's episode, follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn at Dr. Gertrude Lyons or at my website, drgertrudelyons.com. I'll see you next time.